We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Matthew Caps, a top 25 finisher in this year's Football Guys Players Championship, a former FFPC main event league champ, and a winner of more than $10,000 in his high stakes career. In this special extended episode, we wrap up the 2017 season, touching on a bevy of topics including what we learned from the year, where we went wrong, how things will change for next season, and how we can be better players in 2018. Also to kick things off in this podcast, we'll hear from 2016 FFPC main event co-champion David Hubbard summing up his busy fantasy season defending his overall title and what he plans on doing next year. You can follow Hubbard on Twitter at 208-858-740. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, let's check in with the champ, David Hubbard. top 100 teams in the FFPC main event championship Dave certainly not what you're hoping for as far as you know winning the 250 grand again but there are a lot of players that would have loved to have what you guys had uh, in the main event this year 
what did you learn, not not just from the main event this year, what did you learn from drafts and managing these teams this year that you'll actually take with you into 2018 leagues? I probably did too many things. Uh, <laughs> when you many seasons I did, uh, it just takes too much uh, time, and the amount of time it takes is, like, overwhelming almost. I mean, I averaged, like, not no joke, I averaged, like, 14, 15 hours a day, and it was probably too much. I got a little burned out. So I'll probably cut back some on the 350s. I was fine with the main events. Uh, we just had a lot of exposure to Zeke and David Johnson. And when you do volume like we do, and let's maybe say that's 30% of your volume and you lose those two guys, you're not winning an overall most likely uh, because it's it's so hard to win those. Everything has to be right those last three weeks to, to win that sprint. But that's probably what I learned. I probably did too many 350s. So with, you know, when you're putting in whatever it is, you know, 14, 15 hours a day, and now that the, you know, the fan, the, the season-long NFL fantasy season has come to a close, what are you going to do with all this time on your hands? Uh, I got um, poker season. It's time to play poker. <laughs> so spend more time and play poker. I have a group that I, that I play with. Uh, uh, we, we call ourselves Triple H, so I'll spend a lot of time sweating them and, and play them a little bit myself, so. That's where the majority of my uh, excess time will go to now. Back to playing poker. One one of the one of the stories to me of this season, um, as far as specific players go, this is a guy that I, I feel like I saw you drafting. You and Nelson and Austin uh, drafting in a lot of spots this year is DeAndre Hopkins, and I I would have made the case prior to the 2016 season that he's quarterback proof, and then Brock Osweiler came along and really destroyed his value. But now this year, you know, he was catching passes from Deshaun Watson, from Tom Savage, from TJ Yates. I mean, now he really does seem quarterback proof. He gets Deshaun Watson back next season at the start of the year, you know, hopefully. How high do you think you would be drafting him in leagues next year? And where do you think he ends up going in drafts? I think he's a no-brainer in the middle of the first round guy in all drafts. Uh, the guy's a freak. I mean, and with Watson, uh, Watson, uh, another thing does, Watson does to help DeAndre Hopkins is Watson really suits Will Fuller's skill set because he can scramble around and Fuller does most of his work down the field. So that causes defenses to pay less attention to, to Hopkins. So Hopkins, as long as he doesn't get injured, is a no-brainer first rounder next year in every draft. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Um, he actually uh, cost me a league this week with that beautiful toe-tapping touchdown uh, that he had uh, on Monday. That was, uh, that was, you know, I hated losing the league, but, man, that was awesome to see. Um, you know, to that end, uh, Hopkins was a guy that you guys were drafting, not like really early, but definitely taking advantage of, of him slipping to the, you know, third round in a lot of leagues. Um and and you guys had done a lot of leagues, it seemed like, where maybe you get one running back early, but it seemed like you were fairly receiver heavy um, in a lot of drafts, especially the higher stakes ones with uh, the FFPC. And I'm kind of curious where you guys fall on this, or where you specifically fall on this, because there was numerous mid-round, late-round waiver wire running backs that either hit for the majority of the season or at least part of the season. Guys like Alvin Kamara, Kenyon Drake, Alex Collins, uh, Rex Burkhead, um, James White early on, uh, Deion Lewis later on. Uh, is pounding those guys again in the mid-rounds a good uh, strategy after you've already assembled a good wide receiver core and, and maybe a tight end, the best piece of advice that you can give to new players that are going to try the format next year for the first time? 
would give them the best case advice I can give them is don't be like me. I owned every one of those guys you just mentioned, and I dropped every one of those guys at multiple times in multiple leagues. Uh, that's something we got to work on. We're we're bad about like not giving the guys enough rope. We see the talent, and then as soon as we determine that we don't think the opportunity is like immediate, we just cut them and then they call somebody else's roster. So literally every one of those guys you just named, no joke, we probably uh, owned owned and dropped on eighty percent of our teams. So, so I, I mean, that, there's certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of be, volume. Be, more, be patient with guys. Yeah. And, and and I mean, there's and before we say like it's not like because you played so many teams, obviously you're gonna come up on you know dropping on, on a lot of these guys. It's not like you dropped them, you know, everywhere. You know what I mean? Like you you held on to them in certain spots, I would imagine. Sure, sure. Um, let, final question for you uh, before uh, I let you go today. And and by the way, thanks so much for for joining me every other week on on the high stakes load on I, I certainly appreciated it and wish uh, nothing but the best for you in 2018 not only fantasy football but in poker as well uh hopefully uh you end up crushing that again i know you had a very successful year last year um we have the world famous ffpc playoff challenge coming up uh in basically uh, a couple of weeks here uh, as the nfl playoffs will get underway do you have any predictions on what player do you think uh, is is going to stand a, a good chance at crushing the postseason that is going to be on that $100,000 winning lineup? We're just starting our prep for that. I wasn't going to do the playoff challenge this year. I taught myself out. I was so burnt out on football, but, of course, now I'm going to do at least 50. Teams, <laughs> so. It's, uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be probably the funnest uh, playoff challenge that I've ever done because when I look at it, I could make a case for almost every team in the playoffs on both sides of the bracket. I could make a case for them getting to the Super Bowl. So I think this year, more than any other year, uh, it's going to be wide open. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really sold on any one particular player yet. So I, once I start my uh, prep, maybe I'll hone in on a few. But right now, I don't have. I usually have a strategy I already have in mind about this time how I'm going to attack the playoff challenge. But this year, I don't. Uh, it's really, really wide open. I'm sure Gurley will be highly owned at a hun- uh, way up percentage-wise because there's not a lot of people on the Rams that can outscore him. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, if Antonio Brown don't uh, get healthy and, and is able to come back, he's going to be highly, highly owned. So there's going to be a lot of guys in the 80 to 90% owned, and rightfully so. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers might go straight to the Super Bowl, and if you don't have Bell, you're not winning a playoff challenge. So. It's going to be a unique uh, challenge this year. I'll be interested to see what roster wins that thing. So yeah, I think that's I, how I. And it's hard to interrupt. I was just going to say that I think the NFC, you know, getting that picking the right team is going to be so crucial because you have you know these teams that really haven't been there before. You know the uh, the Rams and and the um, uh, you know the Eagles and the Vikings. You know these are all teams that you know have significant quarterback. I don't want to say, you know, issues because Case Keenum's obviously been crazy, but is Case Keenum able to lead the Vikings to, to the Super Bowl? Is Can Jared Goff do it? Can can Nick Foles do it? And then you look at the, the teams with the really good quarterbacks in the NFC, you know, Cam Newton and Drew Brees and, you know, whoever makes it between Russell Wilson and, and Matt Ryan. These teams all have to go on, on the road to play those teams. So, it, I, it, you know, getting the NFC right is going to be crucial. I agree a thousand percent. Yep. Well, we, a lot of good, a lot of good defenses. So, uh, picking the right player against those defenses is going to be crucial too. 
Very crucial, and we'll be uh, excited to see how you guys do in that. Once again, thanks so much, uh, David, for uh, joining me this year. I certainly appreciate it. Best of luck in the playoff challenge and at the poker table, and we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, good luck in uh, in drafts next year. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'll let you later. Thanks to David Hubbard for his input this week. Now here's $10,000 high-stakes FFPC winner Matthew Caps. Matt, when you are not playing high-stakes fantasy football, tell the uh, Rotoviz listeners what you are doing for a living. Well, I'm an actuary. I uh, work for a local health plan here, um, analyzing data most of my, my days. Um, as you can imagine, it's not as entertaining uh, looking at data uh, relating to, to health insurance claims as it is looking through our our football fantasy guys. But, um, yeah, I, I spend a lot of my days um, analyzing data. And, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you a, You're a fellow Wisconsin guy like myself, right? I am born yeah. and raised in Madison. And and are you a Packers fan as well or no? I am. Yes, I am. So, this, so was a, this was a rough gr- one. This was a great year for us to be really into fantasy football rather than the Green Bay Packers. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, it was rough. So it uh it makes you it's a you know it's a a quick reminder of what could be without a quarterback. So yep. Um, we don't have a whole lot to complain about. I um, I always said for for people you know because when I when Brett Favre came to Green Bay I think I was you know twelve or thirteen years old I was actually at Lambeau Field the game that Don Mikowski got hurt and Favre came in and this is back when you know I, you know as a kid you're like oh Mikowski he's he's the guy that's bringing football back to to Green Bay and then I turned to my dad who we have, were at that Bengals Packers game in Lambeau and when Mikowski went out that ankle injury. And I said, they're going to put in this guy that um, uh, they just gave up this, this first-round pick for, this Favre guy. We're screwed. You know, like, this, this is it. <laughs> and then, sure enough, Favre doesn't, you know, uh, miss another game for forever. And, and a dynasty's born, and then Rodgers comes by. And I said, for all these people that grew up on Favre and Rodgers, myself included to a certain point, although I remember some of the bad uh, times in the 80s, um, I said, it is going to be such an awakening and such a rude wake-up call when anybody but those two guys are in a quarterback. And now we saw what happened with Brett Hundley this year, and it was not good. Yeah, I know. I know. It's And it's, you know, this day and age, it's, I guess it's probably always been that way to some extent, but people turn pretty quick. So um, I think you probably noticed that with uh, your group around around Wisconsin as well, how how, how much complaining and oh yeah you know the sky is falling stuff we heard <laughs> right away so but I actually I had when uh, that injury happened I had a group uh, of buddies that I went to school with in St. Louis um, got together to watch games that day so we we sat down and yeah about five minutes in see Rogers go off um, just <laughs> a brutal start to watching six hours straight of football I remember not that the listeners care about this but I'm gonna say it anyway I you know, like, and I, I know it's still fresh in my mind, you know, but the Packers are three and one at that point, taking on Minnesota, um, you know, in, at, at their place. And yep. I, my wife was out shopping. I remember exactly what I was doing. I was flipping a pancake in the kitchen. I was making pancakes for my kids for lunch and I had the red zone channel on and even had the Packers on and I had the red zone channel on and all of a sudden they're talking about an injury to Rogers. And I looked and as soon as I saw him hit the ground, walked off the field, I'm like, 
that's his collarbone, man. I mean, that's and yeah. I'll never forget flipping that pancake when the, like when the 2017 <laughs> came, season came to a screeching halt. I was flipping a pancake in the kitchen. But I, you know, I'll I'll tell you yeah. what. As long as we're on the Packers, before we get into fantasy, this re, this relates to fantasy. Um, yeah. it's, it's going to be an interesting 2018 for Green Bay because obviously you know Rodgers is going to be back unless the NFL uh, forces the Packers to cut him after the malfeasance and skullduggery of, of placing him on uh, IR yeah. a second time. But so you know he's going to be back. You know Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones will be back. I don't know. I mean, I would like to think they're going to keep time on coming at running back, but that remains to be seen as well. Um, but you look, and Devonta Adams is a free agent, so we'll have to see if they pay up to keep him. I'm curious if you think Jordy Nelson is done. Is this a guy, even if he slips, because I know he's going to slip in drafts next year, is this a guy that you have faith in um, putting up numbers, even with Rodgers back next year? I, I mean, I do as long as Rodgers is there. So I, I think we saw, um, you know, he was exposed pretty, pretty poor or pretty badly um, when Rodgers was out. But they just have such a chemistry together. You know, we've seen it over the years that um, that's his, that's his go-to guy. And I know Adams has, has turned into that a little bit, and obviously had a fantastic year and is is a good player. Um, but yeah, I, I just if Rodgers is there all year throwing the football, throwing close to 40 touchdowns. I mean, Jordy's going to get some of that. So I think, uh, I mean, you bring up a good point. He may become one of the value guys um, next year overall. So He he could be the type of guy, too, that, I mean, I never really, you know, even when he was like a a younger player in the league, I never really, and I know he blew past guys in the secondary quite a bit, but I never really remember when Jordy Nelson was in his prime, I never really thought of him as like a blow by you guy. I've always thought of him as a guy that always seems to kind of be covered, and Aaron Rodgers always seems to throw him open. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. Where he did, yeah. they just they have such a chemistry where they know what spot that ball is coming on each pattern, and I think you know as long as you keep that chemistry together, uh, good things can happen. So yeah, Jordy Nelson is going to be a compelling guy that we're going to be watching for uh, in drafts next year. I'll tell you another. He's good in he's good in tight areas and around the sidelines. So that in in the red zone and that's where Rodgers goes to him. So I mean, that won't change if Rodgers is there. But to your point, yeah, he's not separating. So he's not this guy who's gonna, you know, put up consistent hundred yard games. I don't think going forward. Um, but that that touchdown element and and the number of catches I think will still be there for yeah. him with Rodgers. Absolutely. We're we're going to we're going to be watching that. That is uh, going to be an interesting. Plus we'll have to see what what Green Bay does in the draft too to see if they take a wide receiver um you know in the first couple, you know, day 1 or day 2. We'll see what happens there. Um okay, 23rd place for you this year in the 2017 yep. Football Guys Players Championship. Congrats to you on that. $2,500 for that, not to mention the you know the money that you cashed in league play uh, prior to the championship round. Congratulations there. Todd Gurley, obviously a big reason uh, that that squad did as well as it did. So you look at uh, Gurley for 2018. He, he obviously has arrived as a fantasy stud. However, after he had that massive rookie year, took that huge step back his second year. Are we about to see a big regression next year? Uh, because, I mean, he had 19 touchdowns this year. That's going to be very difficult to replicate. You think what he did the last two weeks of the fantasy season, he just was, I mean, he just won people leagues by himself. Um, is there going to be a regression there? I mean, is this a, a top two overall pick that we're talking about for next year's drafts? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's got to be right up there. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out next year where, where these top running backs go. But, yeah, and maybe a little bit of a regression just because it's so hard to duplicate what he did this year. But um, I think it's clear if you watch a lot of football and watch him play, I mean, he is just awesome. I mean, the guy does everything um, to put up the numbers he did in his rookie year on a bad team. Um, and, and, you know, last year I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't recall a lot of what led to it. But, again, playing on a, a terrible offense, um, that defense was able to just focus on him. And now um, when he's got some competent players around him and good coaching, it, it's clear what he can do. So I, and the guy's young. He's a stud. He's He's everything, does everything on the field. And, um, man, I, even just the, the last week watching him, he has a play where he, he catches a pass. He's running a, he's running a crossing route, catches a pass thrown behind him, hurdles a guy, gets hit, doesn't even go down, gets an extra five yards. It's like it's just unbelievable what the guy can do on the field. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see any big drop-off from him unless – golf goes down or something or something fluky happens where they just become one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. And I think uh, Sean McVay obviously had a ton to do with, uh, with what Gurley was able to do in 2017 versus 2016. Let's put you on the clock for the number one pick uh, in a draft that's happening tomorrow for next year. Are you taking Le'Veon Bell first, Todd Gurley first or somebody else? Um, You know, I, I would go Gurley first. I, I just think that, uh, um, you know, Bell is another one who's just a guy you're happy to have wherever you can get him. Um, I just think the explosiveness of Bell, or I mean of Gurley, sorry, is uh, is a little bit too much to pass up at this point. Uh, being a little bit younger and just, just watching him, he looks more explosive. You know, we haven't seen Bell break off 40, 50, 80-yard runs, catches at all this year. Um, totally a volume guy, which is which is good, and, and you want those guys, but um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't pass up Gurley at number one, I don't think, at this point. So Gurley, obviously, is your number one pick. Bell is still a first-round pick for you, for sure. You look at how the first round might shape up next year, there's a lot of running backs that could actually go number I mean, We haven't mentioned David Johnson yet. Yep. This is a guy that was going at the 101 in most drafts. Uh, this past season, and then he gets hurt right away. You have the emergence of Alvin Kamara. You have Mark Ingram, who's been performing uh, seemingly every week. He's a top 10 running back uh, when when it's all said and done. You have both those Saints guys. Uh, You have Kareem Hunt and and how he stepped forward this year. Um, There's been a lot of of running backs that Leonard Fournette is another guy, too. When he's been out there, he's been producing. There could be a lot of first-round sure. running backs next year. How many do you think go in that first-round, Matt? I mean, add in Elliott, add in McCaffrey, add in uh, Cook. If he comes back and he's ready at preseason and shows what he showed right away, yeah, I think it's a it's a changing of the guard. I think next year in particular, it's going to be almost all running backs. You know, I, I mean, it's um, it's proven out the last few years that. Um, running backs have become more valuable, um, certainly uh, more so than it was. You go three, three-plus years years back, it became really receiver and tight end dominant, and you were, you were really unsure about loading up on running backs. But, um, yeah, I would, expect, I would expect 10 in the first round in, in most, the, the vast majority of drafts. Uh, I think you'll get Brown and Hopkins – That'll get some attention, but off the top of my head, I, I don't even know 
any other receiver tight end that would warrant first round consideration with all those running backs we just named. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna have Odell Beckham coming off the injury. You're gonna Beckham's have, yeah, there you go. Beckham Beckham's one guy. You're gonna have Julio Jones, uh, who's obviously w- was picked this year as like a top five to six player uh, right around there, and he's been very inconsistent this year too. Uh, so you look at maybe he drops to the second round next year. I don't. I mean, and, and then when you when you throw in the whole PPR or the tight end PPR tight end premium league uh, a format that the FFPC has, you're going to have Rob Gronkowski who looks like he's going to come into the season healthy. Travis yeah. Kelsey is coming off a career year. Zach Ertz uh, might have been the the tight end one this year g- given his consistency. I you know the, those first two rounds this year it you know people always want to draft at the front. But maybe drafting in the middle or at the back end isn't necessarily that big of a disadvantage or or um, perceived disadvantage as it has been in the past. Right. Yeah. Because you're when it comes to what you said, who's your number one running back? I think you, you know, most people right now would look at Gurley, but then you got you got five, six guys that you feel comfortable with right away. Um, so yeah, it's. I think next year is going to be a really fascinating year when it comes to drafts. I think it's going to be um, different than than what we've seen in past years. And I would say, you know, with the the drafts that I had this year, it it felt like it was kind of already that way, where um, it it seemed like teams were stacking running backs a little bit more this year than than what I had recalled in the past. And man, after after the way this year played out, I would expect that to to amplify next year. You know what I saw a lot of this year, as long as they're on the subject, I saw a lot of people loading up on receiver early, okay, but for whatever reason, yeah. you know, maybe the injuries or underperformance um, caused um, people hitting the waiver wire, you know, early or, you know, often during the year. And I saw a lot of teams at the top of leaderboards this year, even if they went receiver early, I saw them starting four running backs a lot. A lot of times I would see... Like, exactly. you know, like yep. Gurley and Bell, Gurley and Hunt, stuff like that, whatever. But then I'd see Kenyon Drake in there. I'd see Alex Collins in there. Um, Chris Thompson <laughs> was was in there for a good portion of the year. Obviously, Alvin Kamara was a guy you could get uh, sometimes in a double-digit round, and he was obviously in there quite a bit. So it seemed like even though people built their teams around receivers, if they were smart and got the right guys off the waiver wire, they were loading up with four running backs in their starting lineup towards the end of the year and really crushing it. Yep, exactly. And, and the team that you, you mentioned already uh, that I had that finished up there, that was the position I was in. So I actually had Chris Thompson on that team, um, which was unfortunate to see him go down. But with with Gurley, McCoy, Ingram, and Thompson, not only was it the best team I had, it was my favorite team because I just knew those four are playing and now I'll figure out the rest. You know, and and so when you get you get in that position, you have four of the top ten running backs going. Um, it, you know, that's a pretty good feeling when you're setting your lineup each week. And necessity is the mother of invention, too. I mean, a lot of players were you know caught when when guys like Thompson would go down, when got like Odell Beckham went down early, David Johnson went down there, and you have to make a move if you want to be relevant. And sometimes making that move is a big risk, and it's spending a lot of money. And maybe some people spent four or five hundred dollars of their fab budget on Kerwin Williams and ended up kicking themselves. Well, other people did it with Kenyon Drake and loved it. Other people did it with Alex Collins and loved it. You know, so sometimes yeah. that that fear or you know the fear of 
of you know losing your season causes you to bid a little bit extra and be more aggressive and get these guys and and then it works out having these guys in your starting line and certainly I don't want to compare Kenyon Drake as a is a perfect David Johnson replacement but there's something to be said of the reliability that he provided down the stretch for fantasy owners this year yeah absolutely and and you know I tend to um my my approach has been in the past to be less aggressive early on in the waiver wire and it's certainly come back to bite me at times but um you know we're all kind of a product of our past and i go back to man i don't even know what year it was but one of my um previous best finishes was courtesy of a guy named bryce brown i don't know if you remember him from from philadelphia and so he was a guy who i i had money and i picked him up in like every league i had you know and he just was awesome during the playoff stretch um, and then even into to the championship week or weeks. So, um, you know, I've, I've been I've been kind of playing off of that to where I always kind of want to wait um, and not spend a bunch early. But, you know, this year I, I actually on most of my teams, it was out of necessity. I was just trying to scrape the waiver wire and find guys and, and unfortunately wasn't in that position to pick up guys like a Kenyon Drake at the end of the year. Well, I mean, listen, figuring out the waiver, I've always said it's it's not a science, it's an art. And there is no, like, you know, correct way to do it because each league is different, each year is different, each week is different, and it's it's so difficult to, to bid the correct amount and, and pick up the correct guys. In that To that end, when you look back on this season, um, what's one thing that you wish you would have done differently um, that maybe late, maybe it was one player that you feel like you missed the boat on. Maybe it was a player that you invested too heavily in in your leagues, or or maybe it was something completely different. Um, when you look back at, at this year, what's what's something you wish you could have taken back? Yeah, it, you know, a couple things come to mind. The first one is, uh, and it ended up not being that that bad throughout the whole year, but um, the the week that Cook went down, um, I think in most of the leagues I was in both Murray and McKinnon were available and I went, I went with Murray. I mean, that's who I went after and I got him. Um, probably spent more on the waiver wire for one guy than I wanted to, but that, uh, that was cause I needed running backs in, in those leagues. So, um, and then he got off to kind of a slow start there and that's where McKinnon was going. And to me, those were, those were important weeks right in the heart of the season where you're trying to make a, make a move and, and get your teams into playoffs and good positioning. Um, but what kind of dovetails from that is you know, I, I did go more receiver heavy for the most part. Um, the, the league that I finished this high end was the, the one I went uh, running back round one and two and then picked up Ingram, um, I think, in round six, which was, uh, uh, you know, obviously good value and kind of where I was targeting him um, in drafts. But what what it turned out being was that I was I was scraping for running backs on the waiver wire um, all year and never really hit the guys I wanted um, in the other leagues for that and and McKinnon was one guy who I think would have really helped me had I picked him up. So I'm curious as to as long as we're talking about Murray v McKinnon, there was a lot of talk after Cook got hurt that well there, there was three schools of thought essentially. Um, I don't know if, if anybody said, Hey, both these guys are going to help your fantasy team. I heard plenty of, Oh, Murray's the guy McKinnon's the guy, or neither one of these guys is, is going to be, be able to do anything for your team this year. 
why were you because for me I was more team McKinnon strictly for the PPR aspect I felt that he was the more dynamic guy I that he you know he had been catching more balls and you know even though I thought Murray would get goal line I felt like McKinnon would be the better value and initially I think McKinnon was the choice but then it you know down the stretch we saw that Murray you know outside of I think week 15 when McKinnon caught all those passes Murray really was the the value down the stretch I'm curious what drew you to Murray over McKinnon after that Cook injury? Yeah, um, to me it was just it. It was this might sound strange, but to me it was it was all about upside. And and I would think that maybe on the surface you think McKinnon's the guy with the upside because he catches passes and whatnot. But I was just looking that if Murray was healthy and and um, got hot right away, that he could take over and be the full time back where you're just sprinkling in McKinnon. Um, and so I, I, I was more just rolling the dice and saying, I, I have some teams that if I get a running back that is going to be a week-to-week top 10 guy, um, you know, this team's going to be extremely strong. And so that's why that's why I went Murray, is I thought he had the better chance to really, you know, get 20, 25 carries, couple touchdowns um, on a week-to-week basis. So... And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this. And sometimes with that PPR, the quote-unquote upside aspect of these smaller running backs, we get excited about the ceiling without, you know, with, with sort of ignoring the floor a little bit when yeah. sometimes the answer is volume, which we I think even McKinnon supporters would say that, yeah, Murray's probably going to touch the ball more. And, and we forget about how tantalizing that floor can be um, when you're talking about that, all that volume that Murray's going to get from a week-to-week basis, and the fact that he did, and then he was productive with it by and large, you know, four out of the last five weeks of the season, he really helped a lot of fantasy owners. And and sometimes the most obvious um, reason of picking up a guy volume is the most beneficial. And and we're blind to that. At least I know I'm blind to that sometimes uh, when it comes to cases just like this. Right. Yeah, the the tricky thing with those guys who don't catch passes like that too, who aren't going to be the true go-to guys is so. I mean, I pick him up and then I I I play him when he does nothing, and then he's on my bench when he has his two touchdown week. So <laughs> right, that's yeah. you know I play that game. Um, but. Matt, what's uh, what's the stand that you made in your drafts this year when you were you know uh, building these teams or off the waiver wire when you're you know, fixing these teams or enhancing them, making them stronger. What's what's an instance uh, of something that that you really, you know, I, this would be a good example of of um, you know, I'm I'm team Latavius Murray and I'm going to get Lat Murray on my teams versus Jarek McKinnon. Is there another example of a guy that you really made a stand on that really paid off? That was the right call. That was sort of a polarizing discussion at the time. Yeah. Um... I don't know if either of them were really polarizing, but two guys that I, that I ended up with a lot in a lot of areas I really liked were uh, Sterling Shepard and Deion Lewis. Now, you know, Lewis, it took him a while to for the Patriots to actually start playing him, and Shepard had some injuries here and there. So um, depending on how well-rounded your roster was, you could be sitting week to week with a, with a pretty big gap. But, um, you know, those just – they just – to me, when I watch them, they just look like really good football players that um, do a lot with the opportunities they're given. Um, and, and in Shepard's case, injuries helped him become more of a volume guy. But they just seem like a 
a guy that um, they score touchdowns when it doesn't even feel like they're going to score a touchdown. So th- those I've seen them do that, and, and those are two guys that I wanted, which you were either getting really late in drafts or then even in Lewis's case, I know he was dropped um, in a number of leagues or, or not even drafted for that matter. But <clears throat> I remember, was it 20, 2015 when Deion Lewis was like essentially a top 10 running back? for the Patriots, and then he had that nasty injury, and everybody kind yeah. of forgot about him. And then all yeah. of a sudden, you know, down the stretch this year, he's been great again. And Shepard yeah. is another guy. He's a great example of, look, I don't think anybody thought that both both Beckham and Marshall were going to have season-ending injuries fairly early in the season. I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Certainly, you know, Marshall was getting up there in age, and Beckham was just kind of a freak thing. But you, you have a guy like Shepard who, you know, was like a second-round pick, that a lot of people said, you know, in dynasty circles, like, look, this is this guy might not have the highest ceiling um, as as far as his career arc goes, but he can be he's very polished and can contribute right away. Well, this makes perfect sense that that you can draft a guy like him, you know, in the 13th, 14th, 15th round, whatever it was, and if Marshall sucks or gets hurt, which both kind of happened this year. Yeah, Shepard steps exactly. into that role right away as a starting receiver opposite Odell Beckham, and then he becomes the number one when Beckham goes down. I mean, this the thing is, when you get to those double-digit rounds, you you got to stop kind of looking at the opportunity, and you just got to kind of look at the talent and then hope for hope the opportunity comes. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I mean, another guy who probably didn't go very high in most drafts but ended up being a pretty good one too was a guy like Marvin Jones who – to me, he kind of fits into that shepherd mold of they just seem to do the most with their opportunities. And so, um, yeah, instead of drafting, um, struggling for a name, but you know, guys that um, have this extreme upside that you've never seen do it before, as opposed to taking taking these guys who have uh, uh, performed in the past and, and they for whatever reason, they don't seem like the sexiest name because you don't feel that they'll really be a top 10 receiver. Or they don't have that upside. But, you know, in this format, you got a, a wide receiver three that you feel really comfortable with every single week. I mean, that's a luxury to have. To a, to a certain extent, I think you could lump Adam Thielen in here to uh, – he, like, He's there now, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. To a, to a lesser extent as far as like – you know, because he was he, – he actually shot up um, the last couple of weeks before the main event uh, out in Vegas – uh, he got up to like a seventh, eighth, uh, ninth round pick, you know, but a lot of people who are drafting, you know, we have at the FFPC, we have drafts going right after the Super Bowl. I mean, he was, he was such an afterthought. And this is a guy that had made plays before and just developed such a good chemistry uh, with Case Keenum this year. And, and he really crushed it. And that's another guy that, you, you know, you just look at what he's been capable of doing um, for, you know, in the past, he really put it all together uh, this year for sure. Uh, I'm speaking of those satellite drafts that, that we start after yeah. the Super Bowl is over. You did probably about a dozen, dozen plus of those this year. What information, yeah, right around there. Yeah. What information did you take that you got from doing those drafts that really helped you in not only the drafting, the drafting process for the Football Guys Players Championship, but also the FFPC main event as well? What did you learn from those? Yeah, um, I, I mean, the kind of the obvious one right off off the bat is you get a good feel of where guys are going um and and i find more value in it of um kind of the guys that go rounds 
maybe five through 10 and seeing, seeing guys that may go in like the fifth or sixth round that fall to the eighth round and just getting a feel for, for how, how much variance there can be draft to draft for, for some of those middle tier guys. Um, you know, I mean, something I've learned from it now is <laughs> this fits back into the whole girly talk is, um, I, you know, I, I actually had him in a number of those. And so it kind of made me feel like I had loaded up on them and you, and you want to, you get enough teams out there and you want to try to spread, spread your guys around a little bit and not be all in on one guy. Um, so that's, that's something I learned this year is to not allow those satellite drafts to, to deter me from a guy because um, you know he's one that I, I was I was big on him coming into the year and, and sort of what you see through those early drafts is well he's not going in the first round ever he's going in the second round while wow, he even follows to, falls to the third round in some of these drafts so then you get caught up on trying to draft him where you've seen him go as opposed to maybe the you know how you really want to build your team so I, you know, to answer your question, I guess I kind of said something I, I learned not to do from it. Um, but, but the main one that you learn from it is just where guys are going uh, to get a feel for that. More so for the FPC, um, for the main event, you know, when it gets right up to it, you, you see guys really swing three, four rounds that can really go up. And then the other thing you notice is, is when you're playing against guys who are that skilled or, have that much invested in into a team, um, it becomes very clear that that players pick the guys they want. So you, you may think um, you want to get, and maybe this is before the Thursday night game, but you want Tyree Kill, and you're seeing him go in the the fourth, maybe even down to the late fifth round, and and you want to target him there. Well. If a guy in the main event wants him, he's taking him in the second or third round. He's not going to hesitate. So um, that's where I, I think those satellites have less value for the main event, but a little bit more in the FPC. You know, as long as uh, this has been like the the Todd Gurley episode, let's I, I'll bring this up, and this is something I'll share with with the <clears> listeners uh, of what I learned about not necessarily Todd Gurley, but somebody who's been his biggest fan. I think the last two years. Last year in 2016, uh, you know, I, I facilitate a lot of football guys drafts, a, a lot of um, uh, online FFPC drafts, and then the, the high stakes leagues uh, out at uh, Planet Hollywood uh, in Las Vegas, and you know where where our highest stakes leagues are, the the ten thousand dollar high society, five thousand big payback, and everything like that. And there, what Chad Schroeder, who's obviously regarded as one of the best. Um, season-long high-stakes fantasy football players out there. 2016, he had Gurley all over the place. I mean, all over the place, just drafting him everywhere. And, and I looked at him like, you know, Chad is way smarter than me, but, man, I don't think I could get this invested in Todd Gurley. And it, <laughs> did, and it did not work out last year. It yeah. did not. And so now what would a lesser fantasy player uh, say? A lesser fantasy player like me would say, I'm never drafting Todd Gurley again. That guy burned me so much. Somebody else can have him. I will never put that guy on my squad again. So what did Chad do this year? I think he drafted Gurley in even more leagues this year. Yeah. And, oh, and that's, he, he, I love it. He doubled down on it, and, and I'm looking at you know the results of, of, of a lot of our leagues. He won a couple of big paybacks. He won a couple of varsity titles. He won our off the grid title this year. He had a fantastic year. And I and this is and this is the lesson that I'm going to bring it back to is like 
don't be that guy or or girl or you know woman whatever um don't be that person that says because of what this player did to me this previous year there there's no way I'll ever acquire them again because it's 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 a bad way of thinking about things and now as we see in perfect example a guy who's had you know maybe more success than anyone just takes it to a new level as as far as uh, buying into a player that really burned him the previous year he does it this year and it it paid off huge and i and I, that's so important to really separate the emotions separate the years i mean obviously 16 games is a small sample size but in the nfl it's it's a season and um, yeah. and it's important to realize from year to year that you can't just accept that what happened last year is what's going to happen in years going forward yeah, and I mean that's impressive to to really stick to it and push that emotion aside because I I know I've been in similar situations where where you have a guy on a down year and and you just write him off or it, you watch the next two years and bounce back to where he was at and you don't have him on any team and uh, it, yeah it's I, I think it's sometimes we overcomplicate a lot of this stuff and and there's the one thing to take away is when a guy really is one of the better players at his position and produces in fantasy. Um, and he's consistently drafted in the first round of drafts everywhere that if he has a down year, you can't just write him off. I mean, it's different when they get, when players get to the end of their career and, and it's clear they've lost a step, but for a guy, you know, in his third year in the NFL, um, you know, to have been gone from, you know, clear top five pick the year before to, you know, never drafted in the first round in, in, in a single draft I saw. Um, looking back on it, you know, it was a mistake for, for everyone to, to let them fall like that. And, and obviously I'm just kind of picking and choosing examples here. And, and I'm sure that you, you know, anybody who's listening to this, like, oh, bulky, you're an idiot. You could bring up this guy and this guy and this guy. And that totally, you know, goes against what you're saying. But DeAndre Hopkins is a guy last year. There's probably a lot of people that wrote him off. Um, and then he has bad quarterback play or bad quarterbacks and, you know, throwing to him this year and he still crushes it. I think about Devonte Adams a couple of years ago when a lot of people thought, uh, that he was going to be the man when, when Jordy Nelson, um, tore that ACL and he really let yeah. a lot of people down and now look what he's done the last couple of years. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, if you remember a few years back when people were actually benching Fitz because yeah. he just, you know, he was putting up one catch games and two catch games. And there was a lot of people that back then, this is when he was like 30 or 31 years old or whatever it was. And people were like, yeah. well, he's done. You know, this is it. He's just, he's fallen off the yeah. cliff. He's never going to get it back. And now look what he's done the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's examples every year that you just, you gotta, you gotta separate the, the emotion out of it. And, and I think if, if you're able to do that, uh, Gurley, like Chad, or for this year is, is a perfect example. Uh, you can really reap the benefits if it is the correct play. And I, I'm just trying to think of like somebody that um, people would have said, "Oh, I'm never drafting him again," you know, based on his poor performance this year. And this is kind of a cheat, but David Johnson. I mean, we're talking about a guy that did not have an ACL or a patella tendon or an Achilles or anything that would affect his legs or feet. This is a wrist injury that. You know, I, I don't think it's debilitating. I don't think it's going to cause him um, to to miss uh, or or to to um, you know underperform going forward. I think this is something he's going to rehab and come back. And we're not nobody's really talking about him as far as the the de facto 101, which he was last year. So maybe he's right. a guy that becomes a bargain next year too in the later first rounds. He's a he's a guy that that you know we talk about all these running backs going. He could go after 
Gurley and Bell and Elliott and Hunt and Kamara. You could go after all these guys, and he might end up being the best value of all of them. Right. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the the other one that comes to mind right now, which you know, I mean, I, I didn't have him in any of the the high stakes stuff, but just in in leagues around with friends, is uh, a guy like Mike Evans. So to oh, me, sure. I think he'll yeah. be. You know, he was drafted in the first round, maybe into like the furthest I would have saw him drop in any draft was middle of the second round, um, which which was more more consistently he was going seven through ten pick overall in, in what I saw. And now, you know, anyone who owned him this year, they're not drafting him in the first round next year. I can guarantee that. Um, and he'll I mean, he may be he'll be dropping probably late second, early third round last year, it, you know, looking forward and thinking the running back back craze will play out the way it is. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, in, in him, too, it's clear. I mean, he's physically a, an imposing player. And uh, I don't know what exactly happened to them this year, but um, I'm, I would guess there's not very many teams that own Mike Evans that made it very far. So, well, and, and I'll say this about Evans, too. You could have a new coach in Tampa next year. And certainly, it, it you know it probably will not be to the level of, of what Sean McVay, McVay did for the Rams. But maybe it is a younger, creative, offensive mind that can get the best out of the guy who was the number one overall pick in the draft a few years ago, a guy who had thrown for you know 4,000-plus yards, 20-plus touchdowns his first two years in the league, uh, a guy who was targeting Mike Evans with regularity. Um, you know, right. I, I think Evans led the league in targets in, in 2016. Um, and and uh, you have an up-and-coming tight end in O.J. Howard. You have Chris Godwin, who's flashed there. If they get a, a running back back there worth it, it, his salt, and you have these two offensive linemen coming back off IR, maybe this is a team that, you know, Tampa, we, we're all projecting them one year too early. The MVP talk for Winston was one year too early. The the talk of getting to, to the, the wild card weekend and, and the divisional round of the Buccaneers was one year too early. And maybe this team is just littered with post-type sleepers. I think Evans is a perfect example uh, of that. And you know what? There's going to be much more uh, going forward to that. I mean, we could sit here all night yeah. and, and talk about that. I want to talk about a guy that really made fantasy seasons for um, a, a lot of champions this year, and that's Alvin Kamara. Why did we, you talk about let, letting Todd Gurley slip out of the first round, how do we let Alvin Kamara slip to the double-digit rounds in some drafts? And uh, what do we look for in running back scouting? Maybe, you know, you, you can include the rookies or the incoming crop of rookies or you know younger running backs that are poised to take a step forward. Um, what do we look for specifically when we look at running backs in those mid-to-late rounds uh, to make sure that we don't let a Kamara mistake like that happen again? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I did is because I was dumb enough to draft Adrian Peterson all oh, over the place. Oh, me so too. That, like, listen, uh... I, got, I got him in way too many spots, and even week two or week three, I was like, what in the hell was I thinking? You know what I mean? Like when he was still on the Saints, still this high-powered offense, and, and I, I, was, I just kind of gave up on rationalizing it that because he wasn't, yeah. even, he wasn't even getting the snaps, much less the touches anymore. But I'm with you. I drafted Peterson in like three or four leagues, and it was just so stupid. And okay, but that's what I'm saying. Was like, how do we, how do we see through the Peterson to get to the Camara going forward? Yeah, that, that I mean, it, the thing is, I guess he he showed some flashes early on, um, you know, in preseason. I think he did have a couple of big runs. Uh, he showed he could catch the ball. Was clearly an explosive player. Um, 
I still don't think anyone who saw that could have predicted that that he would be this good, um, that that dependable. And at, do you recall any time you've seen two running backs on the same team finish top five? No. In this format, absolutely. You, in any format, I mean, that's like, that's just crazy. It's so, insane. Yeah, and, and and so that's where my mind was with Peterson was, um, and not Camara was. I just figured that. You know, they, they would score a lot of points and that Peterson would steal all the goal line touchdowns from Ingram because we know Peyton used to love uh, keeping Ingram out of the end zone as much as possible. And so I thought Peterson would pick that up and there just wouldn't be enough playing time for Kamara. But, um, you know, I guess the lesson learned is that at, at the end of the day, I mean, th- these coaches, if you got a good team and a good coach, the best players are eventually going to find their way on the field. And it's clear he's he's the best player. Um, I mean Ingram's still great, so they it, it's good for them to mix him up. But you just watch the games, and Kamara jumps off the screen every time he touches the ball. I think the I, I said this on last week's show that it, this year is the first year I ever did a true zero RB strategy in any draft, and it turned out to be I you know pretty much my best team that, uh, of any of my teams this year, and I think. The, the strategy, it's a little bit different in the FFPC because you, you, know, you have the two running backs, only have to start two receivers, tight end, and then you get the dual flex. So you can build your teams a lot of different ways. But in you know, other leagues that, where you have to start three receivers, sometimes if you get that core of receivers early on and, and you're lucky enough to keep them healthy and they're performing, man, you can take so many shots. Uh, if you right. did take so many shots in the mid rounds at running backs, I mean, there was guys like Kamara, guys like Chris Thompson, guys like, you know, maybe not Alex Collins. He was a much deeper, um, you know, later round guy. Um, Kenyon Drake, I, I guess, in some circumstances, went around there. Um, Even Duke Johnson. Duke, Duke I mean, Johnson he's, he's a great guy to, uh, well, you and, know, build and, that strategy around. Duke Johnson, Rex Burkhead, Deion Lewis, Mark Ingram, James White. I mean, these were all guys that had really good yep. value at running back at certain points or the majority of the season. And so I think we, we look at that and, and Matt, I don't think I'm, I'm, um, you know, saying anything crazy when I say next year, it's going to happen too. I can't tell you who they are, but I know there's going right. to be these mid round running backs that are going to, um, win a lot of people leagues. Kamara is a perfect example of it this year. And I, I think, you know, you and I can't sit here and, and pretend to know that, Next, you know, we know who the 2018 version of Kamara is. We just know there will be a, well, maybe not a 2018 version of Kamara, but a 2018 version of something similar to Kamara. And if you can, if you can fire all those bullets in the mid rounds, you're going to have a much better chance at, at getting him on your team. Right. Or even, you know, the other one, um, it played out differently with, with the injury to wear, but Hunt would have been in the same boat. I mean, he, but I think he would have proven out real quick that he was the best player there in KC. And, you know, he could have been drafted, you know, late middle rounds of the draft as well. So there could have been, could have doubled up and had two of them. Now, obviously, in the main event, it, that was pretty much done by the time he was there. So, well, or it, by the time we got to that, but right. Yeah. But, but I mean, <clears throat> you, you could, if you were drafting in like, May, June, July. I mean, like Spencer Ware was still going in like the fourth or fifth round. Is as, as yeah. everybody just assumed he would be yep. the the lead running back there, and Hunt was going super late. 
Um, and, and so you, you could have easily, I mean, ton, tons of people had Hunt uh, late in those those 28 round best balls that, that we had, and, and they won their league based on that. I had, there, right. was, there was one guy, and I can't remember who he was on Twitter, I retweeted it, but he said he had, I think it was Bell, Gurley, Hunt, and Fournette all on the same team, but he only took fourth in his league because his two quarterbacks were Andrew Luck and Derek Carr, and then he said he was a brilliant idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. That, you know that that but that you know that's that's the the magic of best balls. Sometimes it, it just works out that way. Um, so let's keep talking about uh, these mid round uh, fantasy picks because as much as I like to talk about, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara again, bringing him up. Uh, Jamal Williams, Chris Thompson, as much as I like to talk about those guys going in the mid-rounds and loading up a wide receiver in the first three rounds, people grab guys like Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley early, and then they try to hit on mid-round receivers. And to a certain extent, they did it with Adam Thielen. You brought him up. Uh, The other two guys up that I want to talk about, Marvin Jones and Sterling Shepard. These guys worked out too. Again, guys with talent that just needed the opportunity. Same thing with Jamal Williams, same thing with Chris Thompson, same same thing with Alvin Kamara. What's your preferred method? Is is it is it trying to to fire these bullets at the mid round running backs or fire the bullets at the mid round receivers? Yeah, you know, I <laughs> I'm gonna take the out here and say I'm not sure because I, I think I used to really be on the the zero RB strategy and I, you know I love to load up on the receivers right away, um, but it, it just feels like it's changing. So um, and even you look at towards the very end of the year. If you just looked at football guys' rankings on on top ten receivers, I mean, you guys got you got guys like Goodwin in there, um, Juju Smith Schuster. You had like D.D. Westbrook in there. I mean, you got these guys are all guys you could have picked up throughout the year. So, um, it, and it just felt like the running backs were so much more solid this year. Um, you know, we listed off a bunch of those, and and you even think guys like a Melvin Gordon. Devontae Freeman, um, depending on what happens with with Atlanta next year, if Coleman somewhere, I mean, there just seems like so many guys that that you load up on the running backs and get a couple of them. It's easier to scrape around with receivers on the waiver wire later in the year. Um, so that's what's kind of changing my mind on it a little bit. Um, but yeah, my my uh, past strategy has really been to try to target the running backs in the in the mid rounds and, and in particular the guys that catch passes um geo geo bernard's another guy that i've targeted over the years just a guy that you know you can you can plug in and if you hit three or four of the top receivers your team's set to put up big points week after week um but now now it feels like it's changing yeah it might be and i don't i don't know if there's one correct answer and and you know honestly you you interview a hundred high stakes players, you probably get a hundred different answers on, on on how to do this too. So uh, that's one of the things that that we uh, will just keep trying to, you know, keep trying to perfect uh, and probably never get right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and you know the 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 other thing I would say is it it depends on the draft too. It, it, you know, I I enjoy being the team that's doing the opposite of everyone else sure. in the draft yeah. if it's possible. So. Um, you know, one of the main event teams I had this year, uh, was the first time I'd seen all these guys fall to this position. Um, I ended up with AJ Green, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, and Demarius Thomas in the first four rounds. And that, that's one of the first times I've ever just gone straight for receiver, um, like that. But I, I just, they were all, they all felt like value 
where I'd seen guys drafting. Now, that team just missed out on the playoffs um, because I, I missed on those middle-tier running backs. I ended up with, um, you know, the Frank Gores, Jonathan Stewart, Adrian Peterson, Darren Sproles. Those were my running backs there, and I just needed what I, I just need to hit Thompson or Kamara in that draft. And, and, and at that point my team would have been, but been really good. Cause I ended up with Ertz in that league as well. So it just felt like, wow. um, you know, in that draft, I got done with the draft and I was like, this team's winning. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you get with that. I had, I had drew Brees in that league too. So I'm like, how can I, oh, I, I can find two running backs somewhere at some point. Um, but it just never worked out. So yeah. And I actually had Sterling Shepard in that league as well. But then you get stuck. You got five receivers. You can't play all five of them. And and I'll tell you what, it's it's so difficult to pick the correct four from week to week. You know what I mean? That that's yeah. Then that becomes a, a nightmare. That's where the the team that I had that finished really high. It was great because I just had four running backs. I knew they were all going to play, so I just plugged those in to start the week and and don't have to give it a whole lot of thought. A lot easier than trying to pick four out of five receivers and picking, leaving the wrong one on the bench every week. You know, this is going to sound stupid, but I have the the teams that I've had that have not had good depth are the teams that invariably end up doing extremely well for me because I can't screw it up because my starting lineup is staring me in the face and there's not really too many decisions I have to make it's tough to start the wrong guy when you don't have enough startable guys. And, and, and I'm throwing myself under the bus a little bit. Um, but I've seen this with, with teams that have been, you know, top five, top three overall in the main event in the football guys players championship. You know, we have them on the, the high stakes fantasy football. I'll talk about your tough lineup decisions. Well, I don't really have any, you know, or sometimes yeah. it's a kicker or a defense or a quarterback right. because you know, it, it's so obvious those core running back receiver tight ends are just staring you in the face it, that you cannot, you can't screw those up because you just don't have the depth. And sometimes those are the best teams. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and and like you just said, you can't mess it up. That's what's the best thing about it. You're not, you're not having to decide between two similar players um, and getting it wrong and inevitably just switching it out every week and getting it wrong over and over and over because <laughs> that's what. That's what I tend to do when I get in those situations. Well, you and me both. I, I think we are two peas <laughs> in the same pod there. Uh, I'm really selling myself here, right? No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, listen, <laughs> I don't know how they gave me this show to begin with. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Let me let me say this. Two things I hate about uh, going into week seven. Well, three things I don't like about week 17 of the NFL season. A, I, I, it's still the NFL and it's still football. And even though I don't have any fantasy – dogs or fantasy um you know uh pokers in the fire i still have to watch week 17 and it's week 17 football it's usually not great uh second thing i second thing i don't like it's it's the it's the end of the fantasy season let's i want to get cranked up for 2018 right away and i gotta wait until next year next september for week one again and the third thing i don't like and this is the worst thing i have all these ideas and all these things in my mind that i realized and i witnessed throughout the 2017 season things i need to keep in mind for next year for drafts for waiver wire for lineup setting and you know what because i'm a human and i forget so much uh by the time 2018 rolls around and i start drafting teams again i'm gonna forget so much of it all the important stuff what's one (laughs) thing that we learned this season matt that we need to keep in mind 
for 2018. Could be about a player, could be about a strategy, could be about something that we saw this season, uh, a trend, anything like that. Something that we need to, to, to really put at the forefront of our minds so that we don't forget because it is important for next year's drafts. Um, well, I think we've kind of touched on it throughout the conversation a little bit. And, and it's that this year is not going to repeat itself. It's not going to be the exact same year. So um, we've thrown out guys like Gurley and Hopkins who were who were down the year before, and now they bounce back as as two of the top guys. Um, you know, you got you got dependable guys who do it every single year, and then there's other guys that bounce back and forth. So um, anyone who finished way lower than they were drafted this year, if they're if they're truly one of the elite players at their position, if they've done it a few years, um, put up big numbers a few years ago, it, you know, it's, you can't just write them off. Um, and then again, they, some of the guys who performed well this year, you can't just, they're not going to repeat it. So as simple as that, right? It changes every single year. So we don't, we don't really know, but, um, you know, one of the things you can do is maybe write some of this stuff down. Yeah, no, <laughs> believe me, I, I need to. And, and there's been times where I like, um, okay. A perfect example. I, I love buying proven players off bad years. And I was the biggest Eddie Lacey apologist for years. And, um, there was, there's, I had a, I had a Google doc that I kept of stuff of like, you know, fantasy thoughts of stuff I needed to keep in mind for next year. And um, I wrote down, I think for two or three years in a row, um, Eddie Lacy is going to be a beast next year. He's going to return. Or, or, or I, I, excuse me. I wrote down like, stay away from Eddie Lacy. Don't draft him. There's nothing that I saw this year that's going to lead me to believe that he is is going to be on the way back. And then those draft drafts roll around. So I'm like reviewing this, and I read that, and I'm like, <laughs> that is not so nonsensical. This guy is a beast. He was hurt. He's going to come back. It's going to be a full season of him and Aaron Rodgers, and they're going to crush it. I'm totally picking Lacey. And then, obviously, that didn't work out. And then I said, you know, listen, he's not showing anything. He's not getting better. The The weight thing is still a problem. Don't draft him. This is, you know, not – and then it comes to draft season. Well, Seattle paid him like a starting running back. Uh, they really like him. Pete Carroll says he wants him to play big. He's hitting his 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 weight uh, bonuses right now. And in, and again, and the thing is with Eddie Lacy, the the level that you had to draft him at progressively got lower and lower and lower and lower, and it, it and then became less and less and less of a risk to take a guy like Eddie Lacy. And I think this 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 year, I I, I you know coming into next year. I will have no Lacey shares anywhere, thankfully. Uh, and, yeah. and hopefully I've washed myself of that Eddie Lacey cologne I've been wearing um, for the last few years. But that's the thing, man. It's just like we can write all this stuff down and we can keep it at the forefront so we don't forget. But when it comes down to it, we actually have to put that into practice. And and listen, you're a much better player than I, so I'm sure you would have no problem with it. But I, my bleeding heart when it comes back to these guys, there's just certain guys I just I can't get away with. I can't get away from. Hopefully, I've gotten uh, away from Lacey. But it's one thing to put it into practice, and and it's one thing to say to do it. It's another thing to to actually put it into practice. Yeah, and, and you know it does get tougher too year to year because we see less and less in the preseason. So, um, you know, it, it inevitably though you get influenced by all the rankings and all the hype and 
Um, guys are writing about some guy who's tearing it up in camp, I, you know, and I, I think the, if you're, if you're watching closely and you're forming really strong opinions about players, um, you know, guys that, that can catch the ball can really catch the ball, um, that you can count on to do that year in and year out. I think those are your safer plays guys to stick to keep that. Don't buy into the hype. Um, you know, how many, how high were guys like, uh, Martavius Bryant, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Terrell Pryor, you know, all this, all this upside, all this hype, uh, talk with these guys and, and, you know, they'd probably be the last players you'd, you'd write down that you'd say are dependable players that you can count on week in and week out to make, make the simple plays. So, yeah, I think if you really, if you if you've watched a lot, formed a strong opinion, stick to it. Try not to get influenced too much by, by the newest who's doing what in, uh, in, uh, training camp because that doesn't always translate onto the field. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a perfect example. I was so excited. I owned Martavis Bryant in one league this year and it was a dynasty league. And I, I had been, you know, I, I sat, I traded for him after he got suspended and I was like, well, at a minimum, he's going to come back and, and offer me a top 20 receiver, maybe a top 10 receiver in that offense. Um, and, uh, I was so excited for Bryant to come back. And then, you know, he, he's, um, before he got, you know, reinstated, you know, there's this talk he's put on 20 pounds of muscle. He's rocked up. Everybody is talking yeah. about. And and the thing is, it's like you still need to be able to play football. There is a there is an image on Twitter that was circulating in in the preseason of um, Adrian Peterson, Melvin Gordon, Joe Mixon, and Ty Montgomery. They're all working out together. And um, they, they, I mean, these guys looked. I mean, Mixon looked huge, which yeah, you know, it made me feel real good about drafting him this year. And obviously, we all know how that turned out. Um, then you had Melvin Gordon, who I mean, his legs looked like nothing. You know, I mean, they're just they're they're like these little uh, skinny, spindly things. And look at the year he had. And then you had Adrian yeah. Peterson, obviously, always looks the part. And then you had Ty Montgomery, who I thought might have looked the most physically imposing of any of them. Like this guy, you know, show this picture to anybody who doesn't know these players and 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 tell them to point to the running back, they're going to point to Montgomery. This guy looks right. like the, the most running back of all these running backs. And then you look how that turned out. So I think the, you know, we always, we call them off season puff pieces for a reason. It's because they're, they're puffing these players up and there's nothing really there. And I think that, and I've fallen into the trap too. And, I, and I'll be the, the guy on Twitter saying, this is ridiculous. Who cares? You know, this is just um, nonsense. It means nothing. And then like, you know, I'll get it in the back of my mind. Well, you know, there maybe there is something there, and then I'll slowly yeah. start to believe it. And and that's just me being weak. But um, but that that's an important thing to keep in mind too. Is is um, you know, believe in the football players and not necessarily. You know, when's the last time we saw we heard a guy like um, either put on all this weight or lose all this weight, and it it translated to the football field. I remember Le'Veon Bell from a couple years ago when. Maybe it was yeah. like the transition from, you know, his his last season at Michigan State to to Pittsburgh. I know that um, um, th- that was an, an instance, but I really don't remember another time of like when we looked at the end of the season. We're like, oh, good thing, blah blah blah, put on all that muscle, or good thing uh, this guy lost all that that baby fat, and now and now he's running right. circles. I don't really remember that ever happening. No, I, I don't either. Yeah, that's a good point. So, but that's what gets all the attention at the at the beginning of the year. This guy's transformed himself, and he's he looks great in in training camp. And so, 
and then you don't get to see it in preseason. Although I do have to say, um, just real quick back on your lacy lacy talk. Um, one of the one of the most joyful moments I had, um, kind of sickly, was um, watching a preseason Seattle game this year where um, they had first and goal from the one, and uh, and Lacy got stuffed four straight um, <laughs> at the goal line. So, um, I mean, what we don't get to see a whole lot in preseason, but I got to see that. <laughs> I mean, that is the biggest message you can get. Like, do not draft me. Uh, first down, yeah. do not draft me. Second down, do not draft me. Third down, do not draft me. Fourth down, why are we still talking about this? You know what I mean? That's, yeah. And that's, it, it's little things like that, um, that, that really, um, can, can point us in the right direction if, if we look close enough. Um, wow. Yeah, but but then conversely, I mean, you got Kamara and, and McCaffrey who looked great in preseason. If you watched yeah. any of them there too, they so I mean, the the little bit you get to see, um, Delvin Cook was another one who looked really good in preseason. So um, it's still of value there if you can ever if they get on the field to see, see them in live action. But that that's the type of stuff I would um, if you're going to change opinions on from end of this year to drafting next year um it would have to be in in live game action in my opinion yeah no i'm i'm totally with you and especially with those rookies too that's that's where we see um that's when this preseason means so much and we see these guys actually go up against other nfl players rather than you know other acc guys or pac-12 guys or, or whoever it is uh so very important matt i apologize i have kept you on for forever tonight but this is this is technically this is the season finale of the Brodovis high stakes lowdown. So I, I don't mind going a little bit deeper uh, and longer uh, on the air tonight with you. This makes a lot of sense. So final question of the season, final question for you as we look forward to 2018, a guy, Oh, excuse me. No, not to 2018. We still got the FFPC playoff challenge, which is, is going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, we have to, we have to get that out of the way before we can start drafting for next year. So the, uh, the playoff challenge, which um, is at myffpc.com, I'm not going to really um, pump it up too much. You can go there and read more about it. But a player that you think is going to be a great pick for that format where you, know, you can only pick one player per team, it's a set it and forget it, no roster management, a player that you think is going to be an important player uh, that is going to be on teams at the top of the leaderboard and a guy that you want to stay away from uh, if you want to win that hundred thousand dollar grand prize, who is a buy and who is a uh, stay away from? Well, I don't know if I should give away the secrets, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say a guy that I think will be pretty sneaky um, this year in particular, and it'll be a little bit of a injury watch to see see what's going on with other guys. But we've talked about him already. Um, I think Deion Lewis is a guy that. Um, you know, if if White and Burkett really aren't aren't there and healthy, um, and, and you believe the Patriots are going to make it far, which I think most people do, um, he's a sneaky play. Um, and 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 not that you know going with your standard Tom Brady or the top guys is a bad play because I think people in this playoff challenge tend to try to overthink it too much and and really try to say I'm not going to have this guy because everyone will have him. Um, I think the you know those top guys who are studs. There's a reason they're there, and 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 the core of the team should be around that. And it's going to be those one or two offs. But he, he's a guy that, um, you know, the Patriots 
throwing the ball out of the backfield if James White's not there. Um, touchdowns, they've shown they're running the ball in the goal line all year. Um, he's shown he can do it, and, and now I think it's it's crunch time and he's their best running back, so um, kind of prime time for him. Um, the the guy I'll, I'd probably stay away from is is less a product of uh, of him and more of the team is I think Zach Ertz will be a guy who, who most – people line up just because of of the season he's had which was great um but you know i i guess it depends if you think philadelphia is still going to be able to do it without Wentz and get a couple games in but i I could see them going out in a game or two and um i think there's some some better options to to choose there i think the antonio brown injury opens up things too as far as i don't know how many people are going to be willing to take him given that he could miss um, maybe the first, uh, you know, that divisional game. We'll, I mean, we'll see yeah. if he can come back. Uh, and then that opens it up to Martavis Bryant, Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah. or is Le'Veon Bell, is, is he just the obvious guy there? Um, yeah. Or tight end premium league. Maybe you take a guy like Vance McDonald, who was catching everything in the first half on Monday Night Football. I don't know. I mean, right. It's, it, it opens things up. And I'll tell you this, my dark horse uh, in this, and maybe this is my Packers fandom talking, I've, I've seen him run the table before. I know he's on IR, and I know the Packers are technically mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. But don't count out Aaron Rodgers marching to the Super Bowl <laughs> this year. It, it yeah, still, getting released. I, listen, hey, until I see the Packers, until the NFL playoffs start and the Packers are not in it, I still believe in Aaron Rodgers bringing this team uh, you know, to the promised land. So we'll see what happens. I'm only partially kidding, and that's the sad thing. Uh, that do, you, I, do you think Minnesota has a real shot at it this year? I think anybody in the NFC does. I mean, like, yeah. and that's the other compelling thing about this playoff challenge is like you have, and I was talking, this is actually um, uh, what I was talking with David Hubbard with uh, about you have pretty good quarterbacks, playoff experienced quarterbacks, you know, whether Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan get in, they've both been to Super Bowls before. Drew Brees has been to a Super Bowl. Cam Newton's been to a Super Bowl. These teams like feed off that energy and these guys who have done it before. Then you look at the elite teams in the NFC. It's guys that really haven't been there. Nick Foles, Jared Goff, um, uh, Case Keenum. You know what I mean? Keenum, but, yeah. but all these teams that with these great quarterbacks are going to go have to beat these other teams at their place. You know, and, and they certainly can do it. But will they? I mean, I, we have such a track record this season of the Rams, Eagles, and uh, Vikings really crushing a lot of teams. So we'll see what happens there. But I think the NFC is wide open. Uh, and and uh, David uh, Hubbard said he believes the AFC is wide open too. I think that's more close to Pittsburgh and New England. But the fact that I think it is probably means that, you know, it's it's going to be, um, you know, Blake Bortles right. playing in the Super Bowl against Case Keenum or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The the one the one other uh, I guess player I'll throw out there too. What what's interesting to me um, this year, and and I don't know if there's any seeding positioning stuff that still needs to happen in the NFC or not, but um, the Minnesota defense. So oh, yeah. if they if you believe that that they really are going to make a run, um, that that's a that's a sneaky pick there because you know they'll have all home games, and if they're playing the Super Bowl at home. Um, that defense, when they get riled up, I, I'm sure you, you've seen them plenty of times. Uh, um, you know, make the Packers look like they can't block anybody. So 
they which which they normally can anyways, but they make it even worse. <laughs> right, so yeah, um, and, and I've done the playoff challenge here and there. I know I had a top ten finish, maybe even top five finish. One the year the um, Seahawks won the Super Bowl, and I had their defense. That was one of the anchors of my team was their defense. So of course you would think if you if Seattle gets there, you want Russell Wilson or you want Baldwin or or at that time Marshawn Lynch, but um, no, it was their defense and what they, I can't, I don't recall the specifics on it, but I think, didn't they shut out the Broncos or I think that, safety I, I, in that game? Yeah. The double points on defense, their their defensive score was unbelievable in that, in that Super Bowl. Yeah, so. I remember that. I mean, that was just, I was just in disbelief because I, I really thought that, um, that uh, Denver was going to win that game, um, you know, going away. 43 to eight was the final of that game. Seattle won, okay. so. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It is going to be a crazy uh, playoff challenge again this year, and, and playoffs in general. And this was a, a crazy episode of the uh, High Stakes Lowdown. Matt, so yeah. much uh, thanks to to you for joining me in this uh, extended episode. We we got through a lot of stuff. I feel like uh, for 2017 and and got us ready prime for 2018. And and let's just hope that uh, we we can put it to good use and and really um, take the next step towards uh, to, to to fantasy. Uh, uh, Nirvana next year. There you go. We'll see what yep. happens. But thanks so much for joining the show, man. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thanks. Thanks to you too, Eric. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.